Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us on the PWF Empire podcast. This is the review of WWE Payback. Better late than never. I cannot tell you all of the BS that I had to go through to get to the point that we are at right now. I was going to record a solo video review of Payback, but unfortunately, I'm having issues with my camera. I'm trying to upgrade the production quality and what was it? Who is it? Biggie Smalls, Mace, shit, somebody from Bad Boy. They said more money, more problems. In my case, more technology, more problems. You try to step up that production value and things just go absolutely haywire. And that's what I was experiencing last night. Um, my camera, it the, the battery just was completely depleted. And then I tried to recharge it and it wouldn't recharge. So here we are on audio. Like I said, better late than never. Um, and... We're going to get to this review of Payback. This was a very interesting night. I looked over this card, and one of the words that could describe Payback for me, if I'm looking for one specific word, was intensity. I saw some intensity throughout a lot of these matches tonight, and yeah, I am waiting at this point for Lucas to go ahead and join the call once I'm here. Wonderful. Okay, so let's go ahead and get this Payback review started the first match of the night was chris jericho versus kevin owens for the united states championship two canadians battling over the united states title now this isn't the first time that we've seen these two go head to head of course they recently had their match at wrestlemania and in in the payback match we did get a little bit of a throwback to their WrestleMania one where Chris Jericho had the walls locked in on Kevin Owens, but Kevin Owens crawls over to the ropes. He puts that one finger down, and that was his saving grace at WrestleMania. But tonight, or at Payback, Chris Jericho was like, nah, motherfucker, I got a plan for you. It ain't going down like that. So he injured the hand of Kevin Owens. The match moved back into the ring, and he locked in the walls once again. He pinned him. Chris Jericho is the, or he didn't pin him, uh, Kevin Owens submitted. Chris Jericho is the new United States champion and also the newest member of the SmackDown roster. This is great stuff right here. Mm -hmm. Jericho Jericho winning was honestly a shock at first to me because, you know, with the, the, the whole rumors of him going away to tour and go to Fozzie and all of this. So I really didn't expect this outcome with Chris Jericho beating Kevin Owens. But I will say this match was much better than the WrestleMania yeah. match. It had a much quicker a much quicker pace, and they actually did more storytelling in the ring than the previous match. The other match, I kind of felt like, don't get me wrong, it was a good match, but it was too uh, rushed, whereas this one, they really got to showcase what each talent was aiming for here. And I really like that aspect of Kevin Owens putting the finger on the, <laughs> on the bottom rope and Chris Jericho just, like, snapping and, like, no, exactly how you described it. Like, no, not this time. I, I have a plan this time. I'm going to make sure. Once, shame on. Right. If you fool me, we can't yeah. get fooled again. <laughs> yeah, and Kevin, and Kevin Owens, like, I think this loss doesn't really affect him because the thing, the beauty about this match is the fact that Kevin Owens still was able to get his offense in, and he still looked pretty damn dominant mm -hmm. and impressive in this match. I mean, you saw early on 
how much offense he had going against Chris Jericho, just like busting his head several times on the barricade. Like he, he was pulling out all the stops. So I don't think that this loss necessarily hurts Chris Jericho as much as people may, or not Chris Jericho, uh, Kevin Owens as much as people may think. Because the thing is, Kevin Owens now looks like a force to be reckoned with still, even after losing that match. Because for all we know, he could be dangerous now, right? He could snap either tonight on Raw or tomorrow on SmackDown. And that same I level mean, well, of intensity. I mean, it's going to be on SmackDown since he's right, you know, on right. SmackDown. And so that same level of intensity that you saw from Kevin Owens last night at Payback, who's to say he won't bring that same energy with him on SmackDown and just completely snaps on Chris Jericho? I still think there's a story to be tell- told there, by the way, because I still think Jericho being U.S. champion, like, that's not going to be a thing. I-, I-, I could see him dropping that title as soon as tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned because this story... It's not over, but I was very impressed. And that match got the pace going for the rest of the pay-per-view last night. Yeah, they'd had a few things that they needed to accomplish with this one. It had to be a nice uh, pace-setting match for the rest of the show. Because that's what you look for in an opening match at a pay-per-view. And also, they needed to remind people of just how bitter and nasty this feud between Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho was. Because if you take into account the fact that with the Superstar Shake-Up, they were on two completely separate brands, you can't tell the story in the way that they you would have liked to see. Like they told the story going into WrestleMania. The match not, not may not have been that much to write home about, but... The feud between Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho, the build-up to the match leading into WrestleMania, it was one of my favorite parts of WWE programming because they sold the hell out of the bitterness that existed because of the breakup of that friendship. So they needed to remind us of that since they couldn't effectively sell the build going into the show and with the action in the ring i think that they definitely did that this was a really good match and like you said it set the pace for the rest of the night in pretty nice way so chris Jericho, he's on smackdown now along with kevin owens and the united states championship we move from that match to the next one here you want to talk about intensity Holy shit, Austin Aries versus the Cruiserweight Champion Neville. The title was on the line in this match as well, while Austin Aries, as far as the record books are concerned, is the winner. He won by disqualification after Neville was locked into the uh, last chancery, and Neville, out of desperation, he grabs the referee and slings him across the ring. The ref had no choice but to disqualify uh, Neville. So Neville is a loser, but still champion. Like, that's what matters. <laughs> I mean, I guess, you know, I might have a different take on this, but... What different take here, do you have? Well, hear me out before I get bashed here. Uh, I did like the match. Don't get me wrong. This match was excellent, so I'm not knocking the match necessarily. coming along. Yeah, well, yeah, but the result is what I have a problem with. Not not necessarily the fact that uh, Neville retained the title. That's perfectly fine. I don't have. But the, my my thing is Neville beats Austin Aries at WrestleMania, but he can't get the job done again. Last night at Payback, isn't there some sort of issue there? Like I, I guess maybe I'm being too picky, but in terms of my knowledge, I don't like my knowledge to be insulted. So it's like if Neville was able to beat Austin Aries at WrestleMania. Why the hell can he do it again last well, night? Well, if I remember correctly, there was some shadiness involved in Neville beating Austin Aries at WrestleMania. 
And right, if, but it, but there was still a more decisive finish in that. Regard. And the story that's being told here is the rise of Austin Aries. He keeps chipping away at Neville. Like Neville, he's a king of the cruiserweights. He's built up this fortress around him. And Austin Aries, he is a formidable foe. He keeps chipping away at that fortress that um, Neville has built, and is getting to a point where Neville is getting desperate he realizes that he could have possibly met his match in the form of austin aries so he has to do things differently than he usually does he's like i got one over on you at wrestlemania this time around you came just that much closer to beating me but i'm not gonna let that shit happen and it's like the evolution of the character austin aries he's rising and also neville is changing to meet the challenge that Austin Aries poses. I think that that's great uh, character development there, some great story, and they match it up with great action. So all around, fucking awesome stuff from these guys at Payback, as far as I'm concerned. Fair enough. And also, uh, as a side note, I was expecting some sort of interference in this match due to all the other cruiserweights that have gotten involved in this uh, storyline. So I'm very surprised that you know some other names weren't. A part of this match but that's fine you know sometimes you don't need that which is great i i i actually like the fact wwe could do something different for once because nowadays it's like interference in every damn match in the mm -hmm. wwe so i'm glad that they went a different direction with this and yeah you're right to your credit this does continue this does continue the story between austin aries and neville but hopefully it doesn't wear thin you know because we do need a conclusion we need we need a good payoff and unfortunately, sometimes WWE is known for doing these things where they drag storylines so much so to a point where you just like, okay, it's no longer effective. So mm -hmm. I hope that doesn't happen with Austin Aries because, you know, eventually he's going to have to get one over on, mm -hmm. on Neville. Yeah, and that point is going to come. But until it does, I'm fucking, well, even when it does, I'm going to love that too. But right now, I am loving the ride that these cruiserweights are taking me on. I don't know if it's a situation where... And I'm guessing that maybe it is. They go out to that ring and they have something to prove every single time they step into the ring because I sense a level of intensity that is present anytime I see Neville, especially in championship matches like the one that we saw at Payback to where they're not just going out there to put on a show. It's like they... Because, you know, people talk trash about the Cruiserweights. Steven... For example, you know, they talk <laughs> shit about the cruiserweights and they're undersized and they're not quote unquote real men. So throw me in there, throw me into that category. Yeah, I, I, you know. Okay, you too. So I'm wondering if it's a situation where it's like we gotta hit a little harder, be a little bit more intense or a whole hell of a lot more intense just to prove to these people that we're not afterthoughts. Because what I saw in that match, it's like Man, that was some nasty stuff. I think that that would be a perfect candidate for a match that JR would call Bowling Shoe Ugly. Because they were doing some <laughs> ugly shit to each other in that match. And that sequence that uh, led into the end where Austin Aries went for that uh, sunset flip powerbomb and flowed right into the last chancery. And then, of course, you had Neville doing what Neville did there, uh, slinging the referee across the ring. That was a great sequence in the match. They had some really uh, cool moments other than that. Just, man, I'm loving this ride that they're taking us on. Okay, 
We move from one championship match to another. The Raw Tag Team titles were on the line. The Hardy Boys defending versus Sheamus and Cesaro. Now, this match, it was a match, and we'll talk about that. But, of course, the big story coming out of this was the team of Sheamus and Cesaro turning heel afterwards. They gave the Hardy Boys some praise. You know, they shook their hands. It seemed as if they were being gracious in defeat, and they gave the ring away to the winner so they could celebrate with the fans and all of that good stuff. But they returned few seconds later and just started whooping ass so Sheamus and Cesaro they are losers but they're the ones that were standing tall as heels when everything was said and done yeah I really really enjoyed this match because sometimes being predictable isn't necessarily a bad thing and I think in this case mm -hmm. that speaks truth because in this match you just were so into it because of the fact that you were anticipating that moment where either the Hardy Boys or Sheamus and Cesaro, one of those teams was going to snap on the other. And I think that made for excitement and enjoyment throughout the match because it's like, oh, how could these two teams be getting so along? Like, come on, there has to be a, a sense of urgency here where one of these teams eventually has to be ruthless and realize, like, listen, we own this damn division. So I, I mean, I, I knew really... it wasn't going to be the Hardy Boys, though, because uh, they, they still got some nostalgia left in the tank that they can ride off on. So. Right, right. Well, I didn't that doesn't mean a heel turn. I just mean in terms of, you know, not being too nice. You don't necessarily have to be too nice to be baby faces, if you know what I mean. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, um, so in this match, I was just looking forward to that the entire way through. And I guess that was part of the story because, shit, during that match, they, t they told an excellent story. You know, you heard Michael Cole and, and Byron Saxton and Booker T on commentary throughout the, or not Byron Saxton, I'm sorry, shit. Corey Graves, wow, what a botch. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, those three uh, during commentary, they told an excellent story of putting emphasis on the fact that, oh, look, these two teams are out here, but Booker T, he, he was uh, spot on in saying, you know, one of these teams is out to make a statement, and it's not about having friends, it's about being on top. And that was excellent because during that match, he, he ensured us. He kept reminding us that, listen, don't be surprised if one of these teams snaps. So I just really like that aspect of this tag team match. And also it was great, you know, a lot of back and forth. Again, another high quality, fast paced wrestling match, which I desperately like to see more often on in WWE TV. But also, I don't know if you noticed, part of the story in this match was Matt Hardy embracing the broken gimmick and, and embracing the, the whole delete stuff. And actually, he actually uh, said himself a few times during that match, like delete, and he's doing the whole de delete stuff. So I don't know. This could be a sign of something, but I noticed during the match that was part of the story too. It's like Matt Hardy embracing uh, this character he had in TNA just a little bit because he doesn't have that accent, of course, that, that ridiculous accent, but... I didn't have time to focus on any of that because I was more so looking at how rough Sheamus and Cesaro were. Like, those are some stiff sons of bitches. Oh, Man. yeah, they're good. Yeah, they're good. <laughs> Sheamus ended up knocking out one of Jeff Hardy's teeth. And yeah. just to go back to a point that you made earlier where it's like uh, you can still be ruthless as faces, I think that that was displayed by Sheamus and Cesaro in this specific match because, like, they were rough as hell in this match. Some people may consider it to be a little bit too much because it's like some of the stuff that was going on was crazy. I think it was 
Sheamus, who ended up slinging Jeff Hardy out of the ring. He hit the ground really hard. And Cesaro with those friggin' uppercuts. My God. Yeah. Like I said, they yeah. are some stiff sons of bitches. Yeah, and it has to do with their styles, too, of mm -hmm. the way they wrestle, which is why they're perfect uh, tag team uh, partners because mm -hmm. they both have such similarities in terms of the way they wrestle in the ring that I think it bodes well with them as a combination. Like, it's great. And also the physical aspect, like their physicality, their physique, the way they look, they're both these two big jacked-up dudes that whenever they do hit a move on you, it doesn't surprise you because you see how big they are and their body of work. It's excellent. So I really like this match. Because it's old school. It was that old school, you know, balls to wall, just hit and go for the killer here kind of match. And, you know, when you're wrestling with the Hardy Boys who have been around for decades and they know what they're doing and they're experienced and they're veterans, you'd, you'd obviously expect to see this kind of performance and this kind of match out of all, all of them. Uh, but, yeah, so the, so the delete stuff was also a little part of this match. And the heel turn between uh, Sheamus and Cesaro now makes perfect sense, I guess, going forward for the Hardys now to transform into this uh, character that was displayed in the Indies or TNA or whatever, because now this is the perfect setup for it, right? I mean, you yeah. got Matt Hardy. It, you don't it, think it, so? It, it, was a little, it was a little different, or a whole hell of a lot different. Um, like, it, <laughs> this can't be the introduction of the broken character, because this wasn't enough. This was just a regular old uh, beatdown, but... Um, I don't know if we're ever going to get to that point, but on the heel turn from Sheamus and Cesaro, we talked about how ruthless, how nasty, how stiff they were in the ring. That is a strength of theirs, that physicality that they have going for yeah. them. And I think that with them being heels, that opens up the possibility of them unlock unlocking that and playing into it even more. So I, we may have some good stuff on the way from Sheamus and Cesaro. I really like that team on paper for a lot of the reasons that you talked about and how they mesh so well together because of what both of them are bringing to the table. It's just that I've never really had that moment where they've popped on screen for me. At Payback, that could have been that moment. Yeah, it's like that old saying goes, they grabbed the brass ring and they fucking, they, they exceeded at it, you know? Um, they grabbed yeah. the brass ring and then beat the hell out of the Hardy Boys with it. Exactly, because, because to your credit, what you're talking about in terms of their strength and the way they wrestle and dominate, you saw that in their heel turn. You know, you just see Sheamus and Cesaro brutally, and I mean brutally, like, like this wasn't just a old little beatdown. No, this was a freaking beat down right here that they put on the Hardy Boys. And you want to know a, a moment that I liked? After everything had calmed down a little bit, the ref is telling Cesaro, he's like, get out of here. You know, leave. You've done enough. Cesaro looks at the ref and he's like, I've done enough. He was like, I could do a whole lot more. <laughs> I really liked that. That was some good stuff. Yeah, and you don't really see that often from Cesaro. So if this is now a way for Cesaro more so than Sheamus, because we've seen this from Sheamus before, but if this is more for Cesaro to kind of break in here and finally display a different side of him and a more edgy side of him, then I'm all for it because we haven't, we honestly haven't seen this kind of side of Cesaro in a very long time. Or hell, I don't think we've ever had in the WWE. <laughs> Okay, and the final championship match at Payback was Alexa Bliss versus the then reigning and defending Raw Women's Champion. Alexa Bliss, Little Miss Bliss, within just a few weeks of being on Monday Night Raw, has already established herself as this top female on the show because she is the new 
Raw Women's Champion. She, at one point in the match, rammed Bailey's head into the ring post, and she capitalized off of that moment later on by hitting Bailey with a DDT and pinning her. So, yeah, Alexa Bliss, new Raw Women's Champion. Jay, you know I'm going to have some feels for this. Because, of course. Because Alexa Bliss is everything perfect for the Raw Women's Division. She is exactly everything the Raw Women's Division needed. And you were there in that last Mark Standing Edition when I argued Alexa Bliss being the best roster shakeup to happen in the WWE. And rightfully so, what I have said so far has made sense and has turned out to be reasonable because Alexa Bliss has fit in perfectly. She has fit in perfectly on Monday Night Raw as far as being that antagonist, as far as being that heel to one-up Bailey, Charlotte couldn't do it, but Alexa Bliss Excuse has been able me? to do it. Charlotte yes. couldn't do it. Yes, the hell she could. No, but see, the, 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 the difference is Charlotte was able to benefit from that in terms of herself and getting herself over with heat, whereas Alexa Bliss does so in a way where she's also helping Bailey rise to a level of where she's going to gain sympathy from a crowd because you didn't see that out of Charlotte. What you saw out of Charlotte was, God, she's so annoying. Get her out of my ring. It wasn't about, damn, we got to get behind Bailey here to kick this girl's ass. Now with Alexa Bliss, you're, it's more so about Bailey being this underdog who has to overcome the bully in, in high school and, you know, playing into all these little mind games and whatnot. And that's what I love about Alexa Bliss. She's so unique. Character. That's what I look for in the WWE is character. And that's exactly what Alexa Bliss has brought or brought with her to Monday Night Raw. Whereas with Charlotte, it's just all about me, 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 me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So also what I'm going to say here, this is my match of the night, to be honest with you. I, I really thought that these two girls put out all the stomps, especially that one maneuver that you described earlier where she just completely banged Bailey's head on the post there. Mm -hmm. That was freaking excellent, man. I was like, holy shit, that looked like that hurt. You know and what? I'll give Alexa her props. I love... Uh, one thing about me, I love when people do certain moves because like, I pay attention to stuff because there are some moves that a lot of people in WWE use. For example, when it comes to the Sunset Flip Powerbomb, Austin Aries did one earlier in his match with Neville, and Alexa Bliss did one in her match with Bayley. I fucking love the way that Alexa Bliss does the uh, Sunset Flip Powerbomb. That was some yeah. good shit. So I'll give her her props on that. And also, in saying this, there's something about me that always wants to invalidate anything that Alexa Bliss does. And I'll be completely <laughs> honest in saying that maybe it has something to do with my bias in favor of the four horsewomen. Because I look at everything that they did down in NXT, how they took that women's division by storm. And I look at Alexa Bliss 
and the fact that she never really found her place with them down there. She didn't even get to a point where she won the NXT Women's Championship. So I'm looking like, okay, well, you were a scrub and you were beneath them down in NXT. I mean, she did some nice stuff, though. I'll give her credit there. But it's like you're a few notches below them. So she moves up to the main roster and she's doing things like she's the first person to win the uh, SmackDown Women's Championship twice. And then she's the first person to win the SmackDown and Raw Women's Championships. I'm like, hold on now. Who the fuck does she think she is? She is not Charlotte. She's not Bailey. She's not <laughs> Becky. She's not Sasha. But in the match that she had with Bailey at Payback, she she moved up to a next level for me. Because yep. I look at her now and I'm like, okay, I always was a little bit apprehensive about Alexa Bliss mixing it up with the big names in the women's division. But with the performance that she had at Payback, it's like, okay, you're there now. You're there. I, I, I welcome you with open arms. I've always given her credit for the great character that she's played. But it's like when it comes to looking at Alexa Bliss as quote unquote big time, that's where I always stopped. But, you know, I, I, I'm walking towards that uh, destiny right now. Yeah. And and. That's why I also say this was my match of the night because not only was it so impressive, but it was so impressive to the point where you actually saw a different side of Alexa Bliss and you didn't think she could actually go out that far as far as excellence in the ring is concerned. I mean, I haven't seen her dominate in a match as much as she did last night and and being dangerous too and, and menacing. Like, wow. I mean, she really got physical with Bailey. So I was really surprised. And I'm like, holy shit, this little five feet, five foot, whatever she is, this little five foot girl could do that. I want to see more of that from uh, Alexa Bliss. And to Bailey's credit, she too was good in this match because she was showing yeah, a bit of a mean streak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she showed a bit of a mean streak, which is why I really, really like this match. And it's funny, these two haven't really had that much time to tell much of a story or build up. But last night, it's like they did a phenomenal job of that in the ring. I mean, they were really telling a story throughout that entire match. And they got a lengthy time, too, on pay-per-view, which was great. It's like I'm glad we've gotten to that point now in the WWE where we no longer have to think that because it's the four horsewomen, only they can achieve excellent matches in the WWE. Now you're starting to see different women unfold and be in the scene and, and have their share of great matches, as you just said. Alexa Bliss is a perfect exception of that. And I want to see that more often. I want to be able to say that there's an excellent women's match in the WWE that doesn't involve Sasha Banks and Charlotte or Becky Lynch all the time or, or Bailey. Now, you know, Alexa Bliss can be part of that conversation. And that's why, to me, that was the match of the night. Okay, now we are going to move on to Seth Rollins versus... Samoa Joe. I don't think that this one is winning match of the night from anybody. Um, <laughs> Seth Rollins wins here in what was a very flat, dull, and uninspired victory as far as I'm concerned. Are you surprised? Well, no, I don't think you're surprised because I've seen you. I've seen your tweets. I've seen the way yeah, you Yeah, Seth Rollins is a shitty baby face. And this match yeah. uh, was another notch in that very unfortunate right. column. Yeah, so you and I, I guess we're on the same page. I don't think we have to tell each other how we feel because we pretty much know the situation involving Seth Rollins. And this match, it did nothing. It, it was like a Randy Orton match. It just it just did nothing for anybody. It was just, okay, Seth Rollins wins, moving on. 
That's all this match accomplished. Seth Rollins is stuck in a hole right now where I don't think he knows how to climb out of because I think the only execution in his babyface turn was Triple H. Mm-hmm. But other than Triple H, it's like this guy is lost in a world that he does not know he's living in. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like if Triple H was not holding his hand throughout all of those moments. And if you had the whole NXT thing, him showing up there, that was a good moment. Other than that, I not, have not seen a goddamn thing from Seth Rollins that would give me any indication that he could take the reins as a top babyface over on Monday Night Raw. He's terrible. He sucks at being a babyface. And you, like, I I need to say, Triple H is the ultimate fucking heel. If you can't unlock your fullest potential as a babyface battling against Triple H, you have absolutely no hope whatsoever. And we fast forward from that to this match with him versus Samoa Joe at Payback. And Joe, he's not in... A much better position over on the heel side because I think the thing that's affecting Joe is they are booking him in this henchman role where he, for whatever reason, gives a fuck about Seth Rollins disrespecting Triple H and Stephanie. And what is that any of your business? Like, it, I, I understand that it makes sense within the universe of WWE because Triple H is the one that gave. Samoa Joe the opportunity in WWE so he's looking out for him it makes sense I just don't think that it should be a story we should be booking Samoa Joe differently than what we have seen and I think this is his first pinfall loss in uh, on the main roster that may be right if I'm not mistaken it is and for it to be so flat and I mean I don't know because another issue that Samoa Joe is facing is the fact that there are so many friggin monsters on raw already you have brock lesnar you have braun Strowman. he's killing it on a weekly basis so you even have nia Jax in the women's division there is no room for samoa joe to flex that's why he's being booked as this corporate enforcer and in this very misplaced role that isn't effective so you put two ineffective characters together in a match and the result is yeah yeah yeah. yeah, you literally took the words right out of my mouth because right before you were simply touching on Seth Rollins and bashing him, I was going to point out to you that uh, Samoa Joe is also the problem in this. And you, I guess you understand that as well. I, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I think Seth Rollins working with Samoa Joe is not helping his case at all. So I'm not necessarily going to put all the blame on Seth Rollins. He is part of the blame, don't get me wrong, but I think he could be a much better babyface had his opponent not been Samoa Joe. I think if anybody else is in that position against Seth Rollins, maybe they do do a better job of us uh, gaining sympathy for Seth Rollins. Who knows? But because it's Samoa Joe, and he's basically not doing much to favor Seth Rollins other than uh, protecting and and defending Triple H, uh, that's not really a story there, as you said. There needs to be, like, more of a, you know, there needs to be more of a reason of, as to why Samoa Joe is doing what he's doing. And they also needed for Samoa Joe here to look strong prior to this feud and, or prior to this match. And what has he, what have we been getting the last few weeks? Seth Rollins beating Samoa Joe in tag team matches or or what have you. That's not effective. I would have done it the other way around where Samoa Joe is actually getting wins over Seth Rollins and any team he's a part of or 
just completely destroying Seth Rollins every week until payback. But that's not what we got. So maybe it had he been booked like a real bully, like a real dominant monster, where he's just destroying Seth Rollins night in and night out, maybe then Seth Rollins does look like a better babyface. But because Seth Rollins already beat Triple H, because he's already beaten Samoa Joe, it's like there is no emotion there. There mm-hmm. is no roller there is no roller coaster ride. It's, it's just happening as it's going, and we're just like, eh. As you said, there needs to be some sort of buildup where we get to the point where we can be on the same page with Seth Rollins. But because everything is just happening for him, we're not having that room of breather where we can say, holy shit, let's get behind Seth Rollins here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, okay. yeah. Let's get to this motherfucking House of Horrors match now. You want to talk about a house of horrors. WWE, I believe that this feud has served no purpose other than to be WWE's way of torturing me. Because if you take into account the fact that I have disliked this thing nearly since the beginning, and it's gone on for so long, I don't know how WWE has accomplished this, but I feel as if simultaneously this feud was rushed and also too damn long. At the same time, I don't know how they did it, but this feud was rushed and too long at the same damn time. Then, Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt are split up. I'm thinking, okay, this could possibly be the end of this feud. No, it's not the end. We just get build up for it on Raw and SmackDown. So I don't have any <laughs> escape from Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton. Then you fast forward to Payback and they split the damn thing up into two different segments on two different parts of the show. So earlier in the night, they're battling in that raggedy ass decrepit house. And then Bray Wyatt jumps into a limo, a limo, and then heads to the arena. And on the way, he ended up stopping at Burger King and, you know, Hot Topic to pick up a few items. But Yeah, he ends up making it back to the arena later on in the night. Randy Orton catches him by surprise, and Randy Orton hits him with an RKO. It looks like Randy Orton is about to win the match, but no, the uh, Bollywood boys, they interfere, and also Jinder Mahal shows up with the WWE Championship, attacks Randy Orton, and allows Bray Wyatt to hit Sister Abigail, pins Randy Orton, and Bray Wyatt wins the match. That was the only good thing about this entire match. And it wasn't even involving either one of the opponents. The best thing about this match was the conclusion. Jinder Mahal and his cronies getting involved (laughs) and saving us all from this terrible disaster that unfolded. Also, another reason I like this, I mean, I know I bashed Jinder Mahal a few weeks ago on the SmackDown Live review, but make no exception. I'm only only liking this because of the fact that it's it's at least a story that's relevant and makes sense going forward. And honestly, I would take that over this whole Orton versus Bray Wyatt nonsense. I'm, see, I'm still over that. Here's the thing, though. When you've invested so much into this feud, you kind of put yourself into a point where if you undermine the feud, you look at all of the things that you sacrificed to get to this point, and you have to ask yourself the question, is it really worth it? Like, let's take a look at the entire feud for Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton. This feud has featured a pay-per-view main event that they should not have got. That main event should have went to The Miz and Dolph Ziggler for the uh, fucking Intercontinental Championship. So, yes, this feud featured a main event slot that it should not have got. 
It featured the implosion of a longtime faction in WWE. It ate up a lot of screen time over on SmackDown. It also featured the winner of the Royal Rumble. It introduced the WWE Championship into the feud by way of the Elimination Chamber. It featured fantastical stuff like a house being burned down as a you know a, a, one of the elements of the storyline and then also they created an entirely new match concept just for this feud all of that stuff all of that creative energy that has been put into Bray Wyatt versus Randy Orton and this feud ends the finale of the fucking feud was nothing more than a moment where WWE could get heat on a mildly reformed jobber as he moves towards a WWE championship match that he probably should not fucking have. All of the months, all of the story that went into this one goddamn feud and the ending of the feud isn't even about the fucking feud itself. It's to build up to another feud. And I... Oh my God. Like, I'm happy that this whole thing is over, but this was a hot ass mess from every single vantage point. Hot mess. <laughs> I'm right with you there, but I think the only explanation as to why we didn't get a huge payoff to this after everything you described that happened in this feud is the fact that maybe WWE themselves knew this is shit. We need to end this as soon as possible. <laughs> I mean, that's the only way I think this unfolded because as you said, everything leading up to this was making you think there has to be some sort of huge intriguing payoff. But I guess WWE caught on and they realized that this was no longer Caught working. on at the last fucking minute. I wish they would have caught on three months ago. I wish they would have shit. I wish they would have caught on before they gave the fucking Royal Rumble over to Randy Orton. They should have caught on then. Yes, yes, because I was so against that shit too. And everyone's like, "Oh, this is gonna make Bron <laughs> or this is gonna make Bray Wyatt a star." Yeah, who's the star now? Nobody. <laughs> exactly. As... So those people that were saying that, yeah, check yourselves because. You know, you were wrong. And then I got some more stuff to say, too. Bray Wyatt, that no-good, sorry-ass bum, <laughs> the only way that he wins this match is through interference. Because if you look at what happened, Randy Orton RKO's Bray Wyatt. We know how dangerous the RKO is. That's a one-hitter-quitter. If he pins you, it's all over with. So he RKO's him as a part of the match. And... The only way that Bray Wyatt wins is through interference from Jinder Mahal and company. Now, let's put things into perspective. Randy Orton had no earthly idea what the hell to expect from the House of Horror match. He agreed to this thing sight unseen. He didn't know what the hell was going on. We, as an audience, didn't know what the hell was going on. The only person on the face of this planet who knew what to expect, who knew what the implications of the House of Horrors match were, 
was Bray Wyatt because he was the creator of the match. He crafted the entire concept from the ground up in his own mind. So he had the element of surprise going in his favor. Every single thing that, you know, every single advantage went to Bray Wyatt. And like I said, the no good, sorry ass bum still needed help to win. What the fuck is the point of Bray Wyatt? I honestly sit here and ask that question and I can't find an answer to it because he does all of this supernatural stuff to no effect whatsoever. Just take a look back at WrestleMania. You had those weird ass images being projected on the canvas of the ring, all of that stuff going on, him trying to play this psychological warfare with Randy Orton, he still loses. He's given the opportunity to create a match and Randy Orton goes in completely blind to it and he needs help to win i don't understand how people can sit here and say oh well um yeah at least bray wyatt got a much needed win here yes he got a win but as he's standing in the ring with his arms raised he is an empty suit or uh, you know what i'm not even gonna say he's an empty suit because that suit it, it's full it's full of something all right it's full of bullshit that's what it's full <laughs> of. and and you're right because if you're supposed to be a supernatural character, such as Bray Wyatt's in the WWE, you'd figure it would have some sort of effect and power mm -hmm. to the point where you are threatening, your matches do mean something, and your entire persona means something, you know, much like an Undertaker or an old school Kane. But you're right, in terms of interferences and him needing help, it kind of defeats the purpose of those magical, evil superpowers, mm -hmm. because... He's supposed to play into that. He's supposed to dominate based off of that. Mm -hmm. And if he cannot do that effectively, what's the, what point the hell? Of it? Yeah, what? Why? Why does he have that character to begin with? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and another and another point is, I don't know if you're gonna agree with me on this one, but I just don't think that that kind of character works in today's WWE's programming. I think that's another issue with it is the fact that. That kind of character can only last for so long, you know, six, seven months, and it only works against the, your biggest star. And I think after, you know, his feud with John Cena, that was the, and Daniel Bryan, those two times were the only two exceptions and the only two times in which the Bray Wyatt character was worked to perfection. But why? It's because he was facing the most relevant names at those times mm -hmm. in Daniel Bryan and in John Cena. But any other time, you have to believe that that character will not work because of the reasons we just stated, which is if Bray Wyatt needs help to win matches against big names, what the hell is the point of this character? And if that character cannot succeed against a, a, against a nobody, or not a nobody, but just a name that's below a top star, how the hell do you, do you think you're going to survive if that feud can't work against a star that's be that's below you. You know I, what I'm trying to say? <laughs> I talked about so. this issue with Bray Wyatt many years ago in this um, video and column series that I did. Uh, the Bray Wyatt Paradox, a complex character in the simple world of wrestling. I would love to see Bray Wyatt on The Walking Dead or Bray Wyatt would work amazingly well as a member of Batman's rogues gallery. Because the thing is, when it comes to Batman and the old villains that he faces, he faces those villains, they have their amazing story arc, and then they disappear for a while. 
And, you know, a few months down the line, a year down the line, then they come back and they're reintroducing, they're reinvigorating and things like that. The problem when it comes to Bray Wyatt is anytime these big storylines end, we still have to see Bray Wyatt on a week to week basis. And I agree with you, like the type of character that he is, it's not sustainable weekly. That's why he's so ineffective in what he does. But um, yeah, I mean, at this point, what what can you do? You know what it's I can like, do? I can rant just a little bit more. I got something else. Another thing. Oh, boy. Now, we mentioned that Jinder Mahal showed up with the WWE Championship to attack Randy Orton. Can we go ahead and acknowledge the idiocy that comes into play with the booking of Bray Wyatt that Randy Orton took the WWE Championship from him at WrestleMania. The WWE Championship was an integral part of Bray Wyatt winning this match, but he doesn't give a fuck about being WWE Champion. <laughs> Did anybody else connect those dots? It's like, oh yeah, this jabroni jumps into the fucking ring and attacks your opponent, the WWE Champion, the person he was, oh, he's only WWE Champion because he took the title from you. This jabroni is walking around parading with the WWE Championship and you can't say anything about it because the character of Bray Wyatt is creatively shackled, handcuffed. The WWE management is like, oh, well, we know... The character of Bray Wyatt, he lost the championship, but we can't allow you to say anything about it because it just doesn't make sense. You're on Monday Night Raw now, and Randy Orton is on SmackDown, so we're going to let this feud continue and for you to have the blow-off match. But the reason why, you know, one of the big features of the fucking feud, we can't say anything about. So stupid. So dumb. Yeah, and, and honestly, like, on SmackDown, you heard Randy Orton bragging about it throughout the entire road to WrestleMania, how he was basically waiting on the right opportunity and the right time to finally get his revenge on Bray Wyatt and snap on him and turn on him, you know, to one-up him. And part of that story was him humiliating Bray Wyatt, taking the title from him, stripping him of everything Bray Wyatt had mm -hmm. and stood for. And yet... Bray Wyatt now is supposed to do the same thing back to Randy Orton and probably even more. And yet, what the hell does he do? Nothing. I mean, he doesn't take the title from him. He doesn't beat the shit out of him. He doesn't leave him unconscious. None of that. And then he also has to rely on help. And yeah, he wins the match. But again, it's like what you said. He didn't strip him of anything. Randy Orton, you know, yeah, he might have lost, but he still has the WWE Championship. The Wyatt family eat. compound is still burned down. Sister Abigail's right. dead, decrepit ass is, you know, non-existent. Randy Orton <laughs> has a WWE Championship. All Bray Wyatt has is a victory in the record books. But in real life, it is no victory. You are still a right. loser. You are still a no-good, sorry-ass bum. It's like that old saying, you, you won a battle but you didn't win the war. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there you go. Okay, you want to talk about a war. Let's talk about this last match that happened at Payback. Braun Strowman versus Roman Reigns. It's been a while since we've seen Roman Reigns. The last time he was on WWE TV, he uh, was in an ambulance that was flipped over by the monster among men, but he shows up at Payback and his... Was it his left arm? It, it was one of them. Right arm, left arm. One of them, point is, one of his arms and shoulders was uh, taped up. And um, he tried to bring the fight 
to Braun Strowman, but to no avail because Braun Strowman hits him. I think it was his left shoulder. Okay. Yeah. He, uh, he tried to bring the fight to Braun Strowman, but to no avail. Braun hits him with two running power slams to end the match. Braun pins Roman Reigns in the middle of the ring, squeaky clean, and Braun Strowman is your victor. And after the match, he attacked Roman with the uh, steel steps, those 20-ton steel steps. And uh, Roman Reigns has some internal bleeding going on there. And, yeah, that was that. All right. So before, because I, I don't know if you're going to go off or you're going to like this, but before you get to say something, I have to say something too. Number one, I like the fact that Braun Strowman won this match. So before anybody jumps on me, don't knock hey, we me. We got another butt coming. Yes. Don't knock me for thinking that I hate Braun Strowman. This has nothing to do with Braun Strowman, but it has everything to do with WWE's booking. I like the fact that he won. But, and this is a loud but, <laughs> why is Roman Reigns having to suffer from all of this? And I don't like this at all because I think – for Braun Strowman to win, that's fine. But at the same time, do not make Roman Reigns look like a fucking pussy on pay-per-view. And that's where I have a problem. Because this is kind of similar to what we were just talking about with the prior match with Bray Wyatt, right? Everything Bray Wyatt stands for, his character, his persona, you know, his gimmick. Well, it's kind of similar with Roman Reigns in the regard that this guy just beat the fucking Undertaker at mm -hmm. WrestleMania, Right? He just beat The Undertaker. He's supposed to be this machine, this force to be reckoned with, this unstoppable force machine on Monday Night Raw that is going to completely tear the house down. Right? This is his big yard now. That's what he's been saying. And what do they do? They do a complete 180 on this character. And it's like, what the hell does Roman Reigns stand for now? It's the same thing as Bray Wyatt. What is the point of Roman Reigns? when you're going to go backwards once again with this guy. And this is the exact same ex explanation and the same fear I had a few weeks ago when I explained it to you and Cass on the podcast we did, where I was saying, instead of going backwards, WWE should be taking steps forward with the progression of the Roman Reigns character. Because after you beat The Undertaker, your career is pretty much made. Your career is pretty much solidified and you should be booked at a pedestal similar to Brock Lesnar back in 2014. And what have they done? Nope. They rewind. They've rewinded. They've gone back to what Roman Reigns was last year, the year before that, and the year before that. And it's not going to freaking work. I don't understand this logic. I really don't. And and then the, the bigger story of all of this, here, th this is the most embarrassing part of all of this. While all of this shit is happening, yeah, you want to make Braun Strowman look credible. That's great. But while all of this is happening, Braun Strowman now is becoming the favorite in all of this. And he's the one who the fans want to get behind. He's the one that's the unstoppable force to be reckoned with. He's the one being booked the way Roman Reigns should be booked. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't, have a pro I don't have a problem with Braun Strowman winning. But when it's taking away from the guy that should be in that position, that's where I have a problem. Braun Strowman can only, book can only be booked so strong but not to a point where he's stealing the thunder from the guy that's supposed to be the guy. Because if your intentions aren't for Braun Strowman to be the guy, why are you trying to put him in that position to begin with? So I'm sorry, but for this one, 
this is this is on WWE because they should know what the fuck they're doing. Yes, and you hit the nail on the damn head there when you asked that question. If your intentions aren't for Braun Strowman to be the guy, then why the hell are you booking him like this? I've been trying to communicate that same message too because it's so weird. I sit back and I have absolutely no idea what WWE is doing with Roman Reigns. How they could book him like shit and then still try to book him as the top guy. And then they're getting it so right in the case of Braun Strowman. And it's not that they're getting Roman Reigns wrong and Braun Strowman right. It's, getting, it's that they're getting Roman Reigns wrong and Braun Strowman right while they are in a feud with each other. How can you not yes. see that? How, it, yes. It'd, be, it'd still be fucking stupid if Braun Strowman was, you know, on a completely different show or, you know, he's on a different part of the crap of the card than uh, Roman Reigns is, but they are actively interacting with each other. You have to see the fucking differences. You, ha it, why is it not connecting with them? And I understand why they booked the match the way that they did at payback. And don't, I don't, I don't want to like undercut this or sweep this under the rug. I really, really, really enjoyed the match. It's just that everything that Lucas was saying with Roman Reigns beating The Undertaker, he has to be handled differently now. I understand why they booked the match the way that they did, and they had an out with Roman Reigns being uh, injured going into the match, but still, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I don't know. It's it's terrible because people and I understand this argument too. People are saying, "Well, wait for wait for extreme rules." You know, this story isn't finished yet. Obviously, this feud is not going to end with Braun Strowman kicking Roman Reigns' ass. You know, Reigns is going to get his win back next month. That's fine, but the problem is we've been dealing with this for the last two years with Roman mm -hmm. Reigns. One pay per view, he tries to get the sympathy. Turns out he doesn't get any sympathy, and then he wins, and it just falls flat in their faces, and mm -hmm. it does nothing does nothing to execute with the character of Roman Reigns. So that's the problem. Okay, sure, yeah, he's going to beat Braun Strowman next month, but we fall back into that picture of Roman Reigns being questioned as the guy because he's taken a step back after beating The Undertaker, and he's, he's had to prove something yet again, and that's the problem. It's like, where are we going to finally be able to say... Roman Reigns is untouchable. And you I know don't, what I'm don't... thinking that WWE could possibly be doing? This could be like fan service where they know people hate Roman Reigns and seeing Roman Reigns get beat up on TV, it makes them feel good. So WWE is doing this for them. But it's like, why the fuck drag The Undertaker into this? Why, why yeah. put his retirement into this? Because if you acknowledge okay, we're fine with people booing Roman Reigns, and we're actually going to put Roman Reigns in the middle of the WWE universe, right there in the fucking ring, and let him milk the crowd for boos. Like, it was a point in time where WWE wouldn't even acknowledge the boos at all, but they gave a storyline reason a storyline reason as to why Roman Reigns was being booed now by introducing the whole Undertaker retirement into the WWE narrative. 
Problem is, why the fuck are you still trying to get sympathy for the guy? Like, you can't have it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it too, okay? We want Roman Reigns. We, we want to acknowledge the booze. We're going to have him defeat The Undertaker. We're going to have him be dominant enough to do that. The, only the second person in history to defeat The Undertaker at WrestleMania. But he, we want him to be a sympathetic figure too. What? Yeah, that what? doesn't make any sense. That, that, yeah, because first of all, Roman Reigns showed no remorse, no sympathy for The Undertaker after mm -hmm. beating him. He mocked the crowd the fall. Well, he didn't mock, but I guess he kind of threw some shade at the crowd when, you know, doing the sign that he had the crowd in the palm of his hands. That, mm -hmm. is, that is some sort of, you know, that is some sort of uh, mock there. So he does all of that, and you expect us to also have sympathy for him? Come on, this is laughable. That's why unless I'm this dude is Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde or some shit like that, like is, is that the case? Is is that the gimmick? Have I finally figured out the booking of Roman Reigns? It's two different people. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just don't understand this. And the only way this can make sense is if they're they are trying to show some sort of human effect to Roman Reigns, much like they did to The Undertaker. The only way this makes sense is if they're trying to show some realism as part of this story, and maybe they are maybe they are playing into the whole crowd thing. Maybe they are playing into the fact like, hey, listen, Roman Reigns, you know, you have people that hate you. There are people that want to see you lose. You're going to go through ups and downs. Maybe they want to show that aspect of it. I don't know, but I don't, th I don't give WWE that much credit. I, I don't think that that's what they're trying to do here, is show a human side of Roman Reigns and make the product seem more realistic. Because if that was the case, they would have done this shit one year ago or two, <laughs> you know? See, but I just need to know what's going on. Usually I'll sit back and I'll be willing to watch and, you know, ride the uh, wave. I need somebody to tell me what's going on. Yeah, because it almost seems like uh, we're at summer, the summer of last year, right? When Roman Reigns was suspended, he comes back and he had to be punished and lose a few matches. It's like, literally, I was telling myself last time when I'm watching this, who the hell did Roman Reigns piss off in the back? <laughs> I mean, that's how bad this guy is being treated right now on TV. And again, I don't know if this is part of a story here. Maybe, maybe they are shit. Maybe they are trying to build up to his heel turn because if he's losing that way and not getting any sympathy, I mean, there has to be a, a, a point where Roman Reigns snaps, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's <laughs> because if he doesn't snap, how how much longer are you going to tolerate this crap? And I've already had enough of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just look at all of those video packages that they aired last night regarding that feud. And I don't know how anyone in their right mind can sit up and, you know, if this is a competition between Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman, choose Roman Reigns at all. And to go even further, I don't even know how anybody could find Roman Reigns the slightest bit interesting or compelling as a character. He goes out there and he gives his lines and I'm the big dog and yada, yada, yada. Well, shit, if you're the big dog, Braun Showman has just come into your area and crapped on your yard. Exactly. And, and made and it, it his own. You know how dogs, they, they, they pee, you know, to mark their territory. That's what Braun Strowman did. That's what Braun Strowman has been doing. We come out of nearly every episode of Monday Night Raw. Braun Strowman is the highlight. He keeps doing these crazy things, you know, attacking people backstage, throwing that punk Kalisto in a dumpster, uh, you know, collapsing the ring, you know, beating the hell out of 
Roman Reigns flipping over an ambulance, all of these things that he's doing, everything that he has going on in his favor, making him a very interesting and compelling character. Roman Reigns, I beat The Undertaker. Okay. Yep. Everything Braun, everything Braun is doing is what Roman Reigns should be doing. And I get the people are also throwing out the argument, well, Braun is being booked this way because he's facing Brock Lesnar soon. Okay, there's another problem with that. If you're going to have that match, don't make it a bigger deal than the original plan, which is to have Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar, because you're you're basically building this match up as if it were a WrestleMania kind of match. And if that's not the kind of again, it goes back to the intentions. If that if that's not the kind of match you are intending for in terms of a WrestleMania worthy match, why the hell are you building up to it as if it were? I just I, I'm confused, man. I'm really confused. <laughs> Okay, anything more to say before we head off air? Oh, yeah, this might be a little bit, well, shit, I don't think it's going to be rude because the fans last night were rude, but this is my final remark. To those fans that were chanting, thank you, Strowman, when Roman Reigns is busted open, bleeding, I mean, that's just, that's pretty damn rude. That's that. I could say more, but for sakes of professionalism, how... I'll keep it down, but damn, like these fans. Man, Lucas expressing class. restraint. This is a new guy. Where, <laughs> where is the real Lucas? You'll find him soon. Maybe we'll find him when Roman Reigns is also uh, found. The real Roman. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. All right. Um, yeah, payback. This was an entertaining show. If you could not tell, though, I really did enjoy that uh, last match. I did. It's just that they're booking Braun Strowman so fucking well that they have yeah. me confused. It's like, what? What are your? What are your? Int- I feel like I'm Braun Strowman's dad, and he's going on a date. Like, what are your intentions <laughs> with my son? What are yeah, your intentions and, with him? And 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 also another issue WWE is falling into that I don't think they're realizing. You're now building this guy up so much to the point where anything less of that is going to be deemed failure so they have to be careful because they are pushing their luck with a guy like Braun Strowman where if he were to flop that's dangerous territory so that's another thing to look out for in regards to this whole ride concerning Braun Strowman that I don't think WWE is paying much mind to which they should uh but yeah I also enjoyed this match I think you and I for this pay-per-view we pretty much like had the same fucking mind because Mm -hmm. it's like everything we were wondering is the exact same thing I was wondering uh, mm-hmm. throughout the entire night, you know, with this pay-per-view. And but I, really I would put Neville versus Austin Aries as my match of the night. Uh, yeah, that's probably the only difference. But going back to the main event, I really enjoyed it too. But I'm just right there with you, man. The booking was so weird that it took away from my excitement. I couldn't, like, I couldn't digest what just happened because I'm like, what the fuck? Literally, it's <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, but and also overall, I think this was probably one of WWE's best pay-per-views of the year, and I know they haven't had much. But I think after 2017 is all settled with, this may be one of the best pay-per-views WWE put on all year in terms of matches. Mm-hmm. You know, qual- ma- match quality. This was a good pay-per-view. Okay, I could see that. Alrighty, thank you all for tuning in to our payback review. Thank you, Lucas, for this. It wasn't exactly last minute, but you know we had to, you know, string this together. Thank you for uh, showing up. I had a blast doing the show with you tonight. Same here, man. And I guess we gotta stay tuned for what happens later on. <laughs>
Most definitely. Thank you all for tuning in and we'll catch you later. Peace.